morning, everybody. It's good to see you. I have to say, as someone who is like a raging extrovert, I love being around people, that this feels a little bit harder this morning, I think, to know we've had people back in the room. Um, and no offence to those of you in the room who are part of the team, but, um, but actually, as I sat there feeling that, I could feel a bit of sadness of, oh, just want people to be like here. I want to see faces. I want to be able to... Oh, hang on. Keep going. One second. Um, And then I just felt, ultimately, a sense of... (laughs) Christ, I'm carrying on literally being manhandled. It's my husband, everyone. Don't worry, he's allowed. Social distancing doesn't apply. Um, Yeah, I just felt, as I sat and looked in the room and it felt a bit empty and I felt sad, I just realised, you know what? There is such a gratitude that I have that we have a team of people here and we have the equipment and the resources that lockdown is happening, but we can still come to you at home and we can still freely meet together. And there are many people all over the world that don't have that privilege um, and can't do this. And so my sadness has changed into gratitude. And actually, it's brilliant that we can still keep going with our life coaching series, that we can still worship together, that we can remember together. Um, That really is an honour. And as Charlotte said, we've been doing this series, we've done four of these so far. Uh, So on your screen, you should see Life Coaching Larry, uh, and really the tagline for this series is Living Life to the Full. And we've done a number of talks already, I'm going to just flick to those for you. Um, So these are some of the ones that we've done already, the greyed out ones are the ones that have been done. So Chris did Cost, we've done Creating Space, Silence and Solitude, Dealing with Your Past, Your Thoughts... And today, I have to say, there is a little edge of irony. When I looked, these talks have been planned for a little while, and when I looked at what is the topic for today, I looked and saw that today's topic is this meeting together, (laughs) which is a little bit ironic, seeing that this was planned a little while ago, and then Boris spoke, and I actually laughed out loud at the concept that today I would be speaking about meeting together. And Chris and I had a conversation about, do we change it up? Do we just swap it out for another topic? But I don't think this has caught God out, really. Um, And I think there's still some gold to be found in this topic. So we are going to push on with talking about that today. Now, there are many words that have defined this season. Uh, Early on in this pandemic, we used to play kind of unprecedented bingo, where how many times a news reporter would use the word unprecedented or uncertain. But I think there is one word for me that has really defined this season, and that is isolation. And the reason it's been so prevalent has been because it's been used to describe how we manage the virus in terms of self-isolating, but it's also been used to describe the impact of the virus in terms of the way people have become isolated. And researchers are telling us that people are more isolated now than ever, partly because of the physical restrictions, but also because of this just disconnection that's happened over these last few months. So physically, yes, isolated, but also relationally and emotionally. One Christian author puts it like this. There is a difference between solitude and isolation. One is connection and one isn't. Solitude replenishes, isolation diminishes. 
And I think it's really important for us to remember that today, that Chris Tatton did a great talk on silence and solitude. Being on your own isn't a bad thing, but being isolated is something which diminishes, and that's what we want to avoid. And in fact, right back in Genesis in the Bible, we hear right from the beginning in Genesis 2.18 that it tells us it is not good that man should be alone. God has woven this into our design for us to be connected with others. And yet, sociologists and researchers are telling us there has been this shift in culture in recent years. And this shift in culture they have called hyper-individualism. Now, what that basically means is that culture at large is starting to go down a direction of, it's about me. It's about my decisions, what feels good for me, what seems right for me. You know, we hear phrases in society like, be you, be the best you you can be. There's this idea that actually I get to decide my own destiny. We're telling children and young people in society, you can be whatever you want to be. And if ever we needed evidence that this message is rife, we only need to listen to one of the best-selling Disney songs of all time from Frozen, which says, no rights, no wrongs, no rules for me, I'm free. This concept that freedom is, it's all about me. And they're saying this is hyper-individualism. And you might think that this is just a Western issue, But it really isn't. In fact, in South Korea, they have something called, I'm apologizing to anyone who actually is South Korean or speaks this language that the pronunciation will be wrong, Honjok. And basically, that is translated as loner culture. And there is this rise in a generation in South Korea that are embracing solitude and independence. There is a huge growth in the number of people living alone. And attitudes are changing towards marriage and family because the message is you're better off on your own. In fact, there's even restaurants in South Korea now that are being designed around this culture where you can go and dine alone and there are partitions between you so that you can have a completely isolated experience in dining. Now, for some of you who are locked down with your children this weekend, you might be thinking, this sounds brilliant. You know, the idea that I can go to a restaurant and no one's going to talk to me and I can just sit there and eat quietly. Yes, there are some real benefits to being able to have times of solitude. But as a culture, suddenly shifting away from family and community and the only way you can look after yourself is if you make it about you. Well, it seems that this isn't working out as well as culture would hope because the happiness index for the world is going down. Life expectancy is falling for the first time in a few years. And even though as society we have access to more technology and solutions and all of these things than ever before, we are less happy and we are more anxious than ever before. It seems that we have been sold a lie. And in fact, if you look back into um, instances in the Bible where when did the serpent come to Eve? He had her on her own. When did Satan try and tempt Jesus? When he was on his own. 
There is a vulnerability that comes where we just become islands and live just for us. And I think one of the reasons why we are more chronically anxious now than ever is because the all, it's all about me concept means that's for good and for bad. I mean, just take the example of raising a child. In years and years gone by, if you were raising a child and you felt unsure or anxious about how to do that, what would you do? You would go to the elders of the village. You would watch the people who you were living, the mothers, the fathers, the grandparents, who you'd probably be living in very close quarters with. You would watch, you would listen, you would ask questions. You would do life with people, and that is what would shape and guide your parenting. What do we do now? We go to Google. We look on Instagram. We sign up for some webinars. We read some books. But the difference is the ultimate pivotal question says, you have to decide what's the right thing to do. It's on you. You decide which book's right and which book's wrong. You decide which parenting approach is right and which one's wrong. And the problem with that is it comes with this chronic anxiety that says, what if I've got this wrong? It's all about I and me rather than a sense of community shaping your decision-making and who you're becoming. And I think one of the biggest issues we face in this hyper-individualistic culture is that we don't know we're being affected by it until it's too late. And I heard someone talking about this TomTom advert the other day, which says, you are not stuck in traffic, you are the traffic. Now, I don't know about you, but I am one of those people who sits in traffic being really annoyed at everybody else for being the traffic. I sit there and think, what is wrong with everyone? Why is everyone out? Because I want to get somewhere. But what I fail to realize is that I am part of the problem. I am the traffic. If I wasn't there and if everyone else wasn't there, there wouldn't be traffic. And yet, when it comes to being disconnected and isolated, too often we can sit in our bubble and think it's everybody else's problem and that we're fine. But actually, the first time we start to realize we're not fine is when we start to see the symptoms manifesting of isolation. And in some ways, it feels a little too late at that point. What are the symptoms? You may recognize some of these in yourself. Symptoms of isolation include aggressive behavior, feelings of depression or anxiety, passive attitude and low motivation, poor sleep quality, cognitive decline, altered memory, poor self-care or self-neglect, poor ability to focus, and a tendency to overeat or increase your alcohol consumption. All of those things go up when we become more isolated. So why do our bodies and minds react so negatively to disconnection and isolation? Well, just as I said, it mentions it right back at the beginning in Genesis. That living in deep, connected relationships is what we were wired for. It's part of our design. And the Bible has loads to say about what that looks like, specifically for the church or for this family of believers who are trying to become more like Jesus. So if you've got a Bible at home, open it up to Acts 2. It's going to come up on the screen for you as well. And we're going to look at, you know, the stories of the early church documented in Acts.
facts in the Bible, they show us what a thriving church looks like. Even under times of great persecution and risk. So we're just going to go from Acts 2, 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. What a beautiful picture of meeting together. This life-giving, thriving picture of meeting together. Not just for fun, not just this sense of social, although I'm imagining there was a lot of sociability and a lot of fun. But why? To eat together, to encourage each other, to pray together, to hear from God together. And what happened in the early church? It was like a greenhouse for God to do incredible, miraculous, impossible things. Because people who sought to be more like Jesus were meeting together, and that was catalytic. And later we see um, in a writing to the Hebrews, so this book of Hebrews, these letters that get written back to the churches, Hebrews 10, 24 to 25, says this, And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as we see the day approaching. You see, meeting together isn't just a good idea of God's. It is woven into living life to the full. And this whole life coaching series is about how do we live life to the full. And I honestly don't believe that we can discover a full and abundant life without meeting together in community. But you may be shouting at your telly or your computer, Nick, we know, but we can't meet together. (laughs) So why are you telling us this? It's like dangling the carrot. This is so important and I can't do it. But you know what? Meeting together, I believe, is so much more about intention. There is an element of, I can't, but I yearn to meet together. And that is very, very different from, I can't meet together, and actually I'm quite enjoying it and I'm not very bothered. They're very, very different positions to be in. And meeting together, we're doing it right now. It may feel different and it may feel less than, But we're still meeting together now. We have online opportunities to meet together. We have telephones where we can actually use them. Did you know that smartphones, actually you can put numbers in and then you press the button and you can speak to somebody else. Like I know traditionally these have become tools to be able to send emojis or write short messages. But what would it look like if we actually picked up the phone and spoke to somebody? We can write letters, we can write cards. The restrictions at the moment mean that we can meet one person and we can walk together. We can meet with one another still, it just looks different. But for me, it's all about intention. 
if you have no intention of valuing this part of our design, all the restrictions could be lifted and you still wouldn't feel the benefit of it. I, um, we went and did a tour of Towers School recently and they were talking about their behaviour policy. And one of the things they say in it is, something that, a reason, something that is a reason doesn't necessarily make it an excuse. Something that is a reason doesn't necessarily make it an excuse. And I would say the same about meeting together. You've got a great reason not to meet together, but don't make it an excuse. Find other creative ways to live in the way that we saw the early church doing in Acts. So how are we going to do it? Well, my suggestion is in these three ways. And you'll see from the slide that's coming on your screen that basically I couldn't write them in a list because this just isn't linear. These things completely interchange with each other. They are, you can't have one without the other. They feed into one another. So firstly, meet with God. Pray. Spend time in silence and solitude, just as Chris said before. Worship. Listen to God. Read the Bible. Why? Well, the more that we meet with God, the more we discover that he's a father of a family that he's inviting us to connect with. Suddenly the should of, oh, I should really go to church. I should really meet with that person. I should really call that person. When we spend time with God and we see how he sees them and we meet with him, suddenly our hearts are inclined towards his family and a desire to meet together. When we meet with others, at the moment that might be online, it might be going for a walk, it might be on the phone, it might be writing a letter. We live in a recognition that we are part of one family. We are part of something bigger. And we're not carrying the weight of the world on our shoulders alone. We all need people, and it's not a sign of weakness. And as a family of believers, as the church, we need each other. I read a quote from a pastor who said this beautifully. She said, In my nearly three decades of ministry, there is only one thing I've observed 100% of the time. When a person disconnects from the body of Christ, she means the church or that church community, he or she also disconnects from Christ. It may happen sooner, it may happen later, but it does happen. The simple act of meeting together gives us access to encouragement when we lack courage, comfort when we're in a crisis, counsel when we're confused, and prodding when we need purpose. And what about the final thing, meeting for others? What about if it wasn't all about you? What about if meeting with others was so needed for others? We get to be a mouthpiece for speaking life over people, dispensing wisdom, bringing joy, holding people up when they haven't got the strength to do that for themselves shouting a message of belonging and abundance into their life. If we want to be blessed and we want to see those around us blessed, then we've got to start acknowledging we can't do it alone. 
I was really struck as I was preparing this by the Beatitudes where Jesus says, blessed are they, which I always think of um, Monty Python. Apologies for those of you that are offended by that. Um, But I always think of Monty Python. But blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. This is what Jesus himself says. But what's interesting is, how is comfort coming Is it some just supernatural feeling of his presence? Maybe. But what if Jesus was saying, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted, because I've put the very essence of who I am in the people in their community, and that's how they're going to be comforted. And if we don't show up in our community, if we're not intentional about meeting with other people, how do we bring comfort to them when we're not prepared to do that? Chris spoke, my Chris spoke, I always have to call them my Chris and Chris Tatton. My Chris spoke on the very first session of life coaching and said, everything that is worth something costs something. And you know what? The reality is sometimes making the decision to meet with people online, face-to-face, or letters and cards, all of those ways, sometimes that decision just feels like the last thing in the world you want to do. Everything about you wants to just run and hide. Maybe you're in pain. Maybe you are just lacking any motivation. Maybe you don't feel like you have anything to offer. But everything that is worth something costs something. And we're being invited by the very nature of our design to meet with others. Chris has been reading a book this week Uh, by Patrick Regan. It's called Honesty Over Silence, and it's about mental health. And in it, there's a story about a couple. It's it's a tragic story about a couple called Alan and Jackie, whose um, son committed suicide. He just couldn't ever reconcile the mental health battles that he was in. He loved Jesus, and he just couldn't go on anymore. And they talk about their story of staying close to God in the most acute pain that I can't even begin to imagine. And this is what they say. Sometimes we'd stand in church and try to worship, but we could barely get the words out of our mouths. The longing of our hearts was that we would always praise God for his goodness. The reality was that sometimes we weren't sure if we even believed the words we were singing. But we kept going to church, even when our hearts felt so broken that it was the last place we wanted to be. We went out of obedience until we wanted to be there again. We chose to worship until we wanted to worship. Don't let lockdown be an excuse. Don't let your pain be the thing that drives you to just go it alone. Don't let your apathy be the thing that drives you to go it alone. What can we do? What can we do to keep meeting together? Well, the first thing I would say is count the cost. I'm really quite concerned at the moment that the pattern I'm seeing across culture is because of necessity, everything is online for us. It's so convenient. We click a button. You can watch it when you want, how for long you want. You can just fast forward through bits you don't like. And that's fine. That's, it's necessary at the moment that everything's so convenient. But what happens when the world reopens and suddenly we find ourselves trapped into a cycle of convenience where we can't be bothered to show up 
at church or in community to encourage other people and to comfort them because it just all feels too much like hard work. I feel like God is saying, wake up. Get ready now. This is why we're doing this talk now and not when lockdown's over. Get ready now. Position your heart now so that as things start to lift, you have an intention towards running into community and meeting with other people. And if that feels too much, ask for help. It is okay that if you are sat there today thinking, Nick, I can't meet with people. This season has made me afraid to leave the house. This season has made me afraid to be vulnerable. I am anxious. I am sad. I can't do people right now. Don't stay there. It's okay that you're there. But don't stay there. Ask for help. Speak to your GP. Speak to your friends. Seek out services that can help you make a change in how you are feeling right now. Here's one we can all do. Review your routines and rhythms. Look at where are you spending your time and energy and review them and think, how much time do I allocate in my diary to meeting with God, meeting with others, and meeting for others? How do those show up in my diary? Do a little audit for yourself and then look and think, oh, wow, it's not much going on there and make some decisions. Just change one thing and make a decision so that those things get priority in your life. And then meet with people who know Jesus, that will call the gold out of you, that will challenge you, that will point you towards him. And then be the person that people meet with so that you can call the gold out of them, you can champion them, and you can challenge them. Do not give up the habit of meeting together. So we're just going to pray to finish. If you've been listening online this morning, or maybe you're in your car listening to the podcast somewhere, and you are someone that's feeling isolated, and where you hear people who know Jesus saying, at least I've always got God, I'm never alone, and you crave that. Maybe you're saying today, I want to say yes to a relationship with Jesus. I don't want to feel this empty and alone anymore then this is the day to do it. It will change your life. And we would encourage you, if that is you, just where you're sat now, just say, Jesus, I want you. Jesus, I invite you in. Come and fill me up in those empty places. Change my heart. And Father, we all come to you this morning as people who are being pulled towards a culture that says, go it alone, you're the only one you can trust. And we say, no, that is not how you have designed us to live. Give us the courage to encourage others. Give us the intention to meet together with you, with others, and for others. And show us in this coming few weeks as we're in lockdown creatively how we can stay connected and meet with one another and with you. Thank you, Father. Amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast today, and we hope you enjoyed it. For more information, visit ashfordvineyard.org or maybe drop into something if you're nearby. In the meantime, have a great week and know just how loved you are.